the biggest problem in the space, not just for tooling, but even just for auditors in general. And I think part of the reason why, like we just talked about a lot of people on C4 are getting $100 per contest or whatever is because they're not going up those uh, those extra levels in thinking at, at the game theory level about if I take my big trade and break it up into a million one-way trades, what changes about this protocol or whatever, right? This is a good example of like thinking above just what does the code say, right? And then you can play with those ideas. And that's something I don't think the tooling is ever going to be able to do. And that's part of the reason why you still need top 1% smart contract auditors is because they're able to think above the code. DMGM everyone, I am Digachi, your host, and I am with Jackson. How's it going? Hey everybody who will eventually be watching this. Hey dude, how are you? I'm not bad, thank you. Um, so let's start off with what you do. I guess before we get into all that, it probably makes sense for me to talk about some of my background and all that stuff. What I'm doing right now though, okay. up right now is I work at Robinhood. I'm working on the, there's a non-custodial wallet that they launched recently. It's sort of a competitor to the Coinbase wallet. Um, I sort of worked on that from the beginning. So shipped all the code and got it out the door, got it to market, all that stuff. And then mm -hmm. uh, all throughout that same time, I've been working as a smart contract auditor for a bunch of different auditing firms. Yeah, I saw that. So you're working with like Oak Security and just doing like a partnership with a whole bunch of other ones. And you're kind of like aggregating um, people's like submissions. I saw on your Twitter. Yeah, um, I actually just started that, whatever it was yesterday, whatever. People kept telling me like, dude, you're not using your Twitter appropriately <laughs> so oh, really? yeah and so eventually i was like okay i think there's a couple things happened at the same time and so i was like finally like okay i'll give this a shot i saw a bunch of other people putting like dm me for audits in their twitter bios and stuff and yeah i, like, oh. I kind of treat my twitter like a giant a b test where um, i'll just try stuff and see how it goes and if it goes well i'll double okay. down on it and keep doing that sort of stuff so yeah, yeah. this is just kind of an a b test where i'm like let me see if this works, if it works, I'll keep doing it. If it doesn't, I'll rip it out and put it, put something else there. Yeah, yeah, just trial and error. And I'm sure you get like a like a commission or something for this kind of stuff. Yeah, that, that's the out? that would be the idea. Is like okay, I know. Gotcha. But every single auditing firm I work for is always looking for work, and so they they ha all have different commission models, right? And so I think right. one of the, one of the things I've noticed giving talks about smart contract auditing is sometimes when I give the talk, it's to people who are like protocol developers and they're not security people. And yeah. I realize like what an endless sea of like information it is for them to figure out, okay, I finished my project, now what, right? And so the way mm -hmm. I'm looking at it is I can help the protocol devs navigate like, okay, where should I be sending this work to in order to like get the best price for the proper quality for the best expertise of like whatever it is I'm launching. Mm -hmm. And then on the other side for the, the auditing firms, they're looking for, for work, right? And so I can kind of help those two parties come together and end up hopefully making it successful for both of them. Got you. And how did you like get into all these auditing firms? I'm sure they have like some task to get in. For example, Spearbit has like their assignment. Sure. Oak yeah. Has their own assignments. <clears throat> Everyone's different. So yeah, it was just basically, I, I kind of at the beginning, when I was very first starting, I didn't realize I could become a smart contract auditor. I have to credit Christoph Michelle for that. I was studying security mostly because I was like, okay, I want to fork a project. <laughs> this was like the era oh, like, you know, the last bull run where it was like, uh, take Uniswap, put it on. Yeah. Put it on Polygon and like, you know, make a couple million. So I was like, I'll, I'll do that. Like, <laughs> why not? But I knew like if I get hacked, 
that's the end of the project, right? And like I lose yeah. all credibility. And I so I was like, okay, I need to know security enough so that if I forked Uniswap and changed variables, I knew which various variables were okay to change along what parameters yeah, yeah. or whatever, right? And so I started studying it and I found Christoph's blog and it, he, he had written up a blog about the the last paradigm CTF. And oh, I was yeah. like going through that, even though I, I wasn't in the CTF, I was like reading a bunch of the postmortems afterwards because I'd missed it. I was actually into security during the CTF, right? And then I got into it like a couple months after that CTF. So anyway, oh, I okay. DM'd him on Twitter because I, what I noticed is like I was like reading through his blog and I noticed he was mm-hmm. in the EOS space. Both he and I had like pivoted away from Ethereum and into EOS. And so I was like, hey, dude, like, I see you and I were both like, okay, this EOS thing's not working out. Like, let's go back to (laughs) Ethereum. And then once we pivoted, I think both of us ended up gravitating towards security. He did way before I did, right? He's way better than I am. But Uh I just was like, hey, you know, and he was like, oh, do you want to come audit with me? He was working at, at, I think, Quill. Uh, No, he was working at Quill. Quantstamp. He was working at Quantstamp at the time. He was like, do you want to come audit with me at Quantstamp? And I was like, that, I didn't realize like, oh, I could be good enough to audit, right? And so I was like, okay, yeah. maybe I should buckle down on this, like double down on it. And so at that point, so what happened is I I was studying for the interview at Quantstamp and right. I had like, I had all these ideas around, I'd gone through all these CTFs basically. And mm-hmm. I'd started to recognize some patterns in like the question, the question type, right? Where it's like, okay, if if there's some sort of uh, like mathematical operation that involves division or something like that, right? Typically there it's going to end up being a rounding exploit or something like that, that you're trying to, right? So part of like yeah. winning a CTF is detecting what the bug is. And then the second half of it is implementing whatever hack you need to implement in order to uh, yeah, bypass what, you know, right? Right. So I was more focused on the detection piece. And so I'd, I'd written up a blog post about like, it was called like five, solidity code smells or something like that, right? And I sort mm-hmm. of said, okay, if you see this in a CTF, it's likely going to mean that you need to do this sort of exploit. And yep. that went kind of viral in some of the subreddits and stuff like that. And I started to get a bunch of inbound from all these auditing firms. And mm-hmm. I was getting ready to actually join Consensus mm-hmm. Diligence. Around that same time, Robin had reached out to me and was like, hey, we're start, we're launching this thing. We want you to come work on it. So yeah. I ended up joining Robinhood instead. But then I was like, dude, I spent a couple months like really diving deep <laughs> on security. And I was like, I don't want to just waste all this. I wanted to be an auditor more than like, yeah. I'm doing interesting work at Robinhood, but it's not security related. It's not smart contract related. It's primarily like backend engineering. And yeah. so I was like, okay, I need to find some other places that will let me continue to do this work, even though I'm not like a full-time employee. I tried to get consensus to do that. They were like, no, we only, same with Quantstamp. They, it's, I think part of the reason Christoph left is that they were letting people do it part-time and then they disbanded that oh. and you had to be full-time, right? And so okay. uh, that's kind of how I ended up finding a lot of the people I'm, I'm working with currently is they are allowing me to do this work on like nights and weekends outside of my day job. Got you. So like kind of part-time. So how do you even like um, schedule your day to kind of like contain? Dude, you know, yeah, sometimes it's just it's a slog sometimes i also have a one-year-old daughter and so trying to like take care of her throughout the day and you know make sure i'm still present in her life and i'm not just sitting in front of a computer 24 7. it's hard it's definitely hard i try to i mean so i'm in a different time zone than the bay area and so i sometimes i'll have a couple extra hours in the morning before everybody else wakes up at robin hood what i don't i don't audit in the morning usually though what i do is i try and like get a lot of work 
work done at, at that time at Robinhood. So that in the afternoon, right. when I cut out early or whatever, I go when, usually around the time I eat dinner, I go, okay, it's time to close that off and like focus on the auditing or whatever. And then yeah. usually most, the big, the big chunk of the audit that's throughout the week. It's normally like getting familiar with the code base, understanding high level concepts of like, you know, how did the libraries work together and what sort of integrations mm-hmm. do they have with other, other protocols, stuff like that. Right. And then mm-hmm. the weekends is when I'm like highly focused. I'm spending, you know, eight to 10 hours a day on Saturday and Sunday and just like really honing in. So that's kind of what my schedule looks like right now. Gotcha. So you like do your full-time job uh, during the day, like when you wake up and then once you get home or, you know, finish, you know, the full-time job, then you go into doing your passion project, quote unquote, which is just auditing. So yeah, and luckily I yeah. like I'm a fully remote employee, right? So I don't have a commute or anything. Yeah, like yeah, that. okay. There so we it's go. like I wake up, get out of bed, <laughs> do my work at Robin, <laughs> eat dinner, start auditing, right? So I don't have yeah. any sort of inefficiencies in between the the switch over, really. Other than like switching from my work laptop to my personal laptop. Yeah, my schedule was like completely different. I wake up and just don't leave bed. I just grab my laptop and start working <laughs> in bed. <laughs> I would probably do somehow. that if I didn't have wife and kids. And so they're oh, up yeah, like doing breakfast and playing around. And so I'm like, okay, I'll get out of bed as well. But I would probably be doing the same thing as you. Oh man, like some... I think we're like all about efficiency, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like, okay, we've woken up right, instantly. We have to maximize our time. <laughs> right. I mean, like somehow I've built, like, that's my environment to work in now is my bed. So going to a desk, I'm somehow less effective than just lying in bed, which is... I could, I could definitely see that, to be honest. Like sometimes, I mean, I spend so much time at my desk now where I'll start to feel like uncomfortable sitting in the seat or whatever, because I've spent 12 hours sitting in the seat or whatever, right? Yeah, so, yeah, it's painful. There's man. some level down. of, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Lying down is more comfortable. It's better on your back, right? right? All this and stuff. you can switch the positions. It's great. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, so let's talk about, um, are you doing private audits on top of like these freelancing audits with Spivit and all, et cetera? Are you asking me if I am or how am I? Yeah, occasionally. So yeah. I like some, I think sometimes people get the impression that I'm like some sort of master auditor. <laughs> and I <laughs> okay. work, I've worked with hundred proof at Oak. So I know what a master auditor oh, actually right. yeah, looks yeah. like. <laughs> yeah. So I'm that not man. like on, yeah, I'm not on his level, right. In terms of skill level or whatever, but what mm-hmm. I am good at is the sort of the business aspect of it. Right. And so I pretty much always have some sort of an audit booked every week. And that's because I've got all these partnerships, right? So it's like, okay, yeah. if there's a down week at Oak for whatever reason, then maybe I have something coming in from Y Academy or, you know, whatever. And then gotcha. also if, if none of those are getting filled up, then usually I've got some sort of a solo audit thing, right? And usually what I like to do with those is I, like very recently I had one of those come in and I send it over to After Dark Labs, which is a, kind of a brand new auditing firm so i i'm constantly also trying to like create more partnerships or networks or whatever so that's like okay if there Mm -hmm. does come a week or time where you know one of these other auditing firms or i don't have any work hopefully i can ping the founder there and go because i sent i've sent them some work say hey do you guys have anything else or whatever right so it's more Mm -hmm. part of it's also networking right it's like okay yeah i do know how to audit i am good at that but also i know how to make sure that i've got my schedule packed every week for sure. Yeah. And I guess, how did you even 
develop these these partnerships so the ones you're getting commissions off and just aggregating yeah uh they come from every like so the the after dark one was kind of interesting because i was supposed to give a talk at ETH denver <laughs> and oh, i ended up canceling the <laughs> i ended up canceling the talk yeah. which we can get into it at another time <laughs> okay <laughs> i canceled the talk but all their marketing engine had already ran like this guy's going to be a speaker at this oh, time right no. the newsletter right no it was good yeah. Because now I got all oh. this inbound from all these people going yeah, like, good for oh, you. you're smart for them. I need the, yeah, I didn't have to do a talk and I got all this. Yeah, yeah. Free marketing. All this in, yeah, exactly. Right. So that customer ended up coming from there. So it's just a bunch of things, right. All over the place. Sometimes doing these, like part of the reason I do these podcast interviews is like, it helps branding for my personal brand as well. Right. Where it's like, okay, for sure, yeah. maybe some of your people will now come follow me on Twitter and eventually one of them's going to fork uniswap and they'll need an audit and then you know <laughs> <laughs> just cascading snowball effect pretty much yeah i mean that was one of the things i learned blogging is like i think you've probably learned it the same right is like mm -hmm. if you get a piece of content that really blows up it opens up a lot of doors and a lot of potential oh yeah uh opportunities i never realized how powerful like networking is like you can be the best developer in the world right but you're not going to have any opportunities unless you build a network, right? And when you build a network, those people introduce you to more people and then you get yep. clients and business deals, even VCs, which I've recently discovered, which is just insane. Um, like people want to give you money to try and build your, <laughs> right. your project. And it's like, wow, okay. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's amazing. So providing value is the number one thing. And if you can provide value to a lot of people via content, then it will ultimately return you tenfold. You may yep. think that you might be like diluting yourself, but you're actually giving yourself an edge in another sort of space. Um, yep, but totally. what I, I mean, the, I, that's kind of how I started this, right? Was telling you that I wrote a blog post about five b bugs or whatever, right? And that mm -hmm. ended up cascading into all these connections I made with all these different auditing firms. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then you blow up and then you meet more people and then that's how we met, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, <laughs> we got, right. We both got big enough. We're like, oh shit, yo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was. Did you ever do like C4 contests or any kind of like public contest Yeah, I was thing? talking. Uh, maybe it was, I saw a tweet by Pashov maybe. <clears throat> mm -hmm. And maybe it was him or Andy. I can't remember. One of them tweeted something about like the... Maybe it was trust. I don't remember. But there was some, they were like saying like, step one is you go do C4. You don't do very well. You keep grinding at it for a couple of months. Step two is like you get up the leaderboard. Step three is you mm -hmm. leave C4 and start picking up your own work or whatever. And mm. I tweeted at them. I was like, yeah, I bypassed all that and went straight to like <laughs> working for auditing <laughs> firms and like not having to do that. Yeah. <clears throat> Which I didn't really, it wasn't intentional or anything like that. It was... I just didn't, I guess probably I didn't really even know about C4 at the time. And so I was like, mm, okay. whatever. I, the only way for me to do this work is to, and so I just ended up reaching out like, so, okay. Yeah. I, th I think you asked me before, like, how did these folks do their different um, sort of trials or interviews or whatever. Right. And they're all different. Mm -hmm. Oak is a good example where I, I think I was reading through a blog post by the founder where he was talking about signature replays and 
at the bottom of the post, it was like, hey, we're starting a new auditing firm. Reach out if you're interested in working for us or whatever, right? And so I just straight up email, mm-hmm. cold emailed them. I was like, told them the situation, which was what I told you, which is like, hey, I was going to join Diligence. It fell through. Do you guys, are you guys open to part-time work? I've never audited before. I'll do it for free. Just let me shadow your guy. Because at that point, I'd learned all the security, but I didn't know what it what did it take to produce these audit reports. So I, yeah, I, yeah. I was mostly interested in like, okay, what's the process of like, here's the code base, here's the report. I want I want the inside scoop in that to see like, am I good enough to do this or whatever, right? And mm. so they put me through an interview. They put you through like a trial audit, all this sort of stuff. But then eventually they start saying, okay, here's some work. So that's sort mm-hmm. of the process for Oak. So yeah, I mean, it was sort of mostly like a sales thing at that point, right? Where I was doing cold cold, yeah. cold outreach to, to firms because I knew they, they need, I was hearing people like, uh, Moody kind of complaining on Twitter about, or, or, uh, Bantech completing on complaining on Twitter about like how long the lead time was for auditors. Right. So I knew like, okay, there's insane demand for this skill set. I just need mm-hmm. to figure out who's hiring, who has the work that I can go, go and do it. Right. Yeah, so in that exactly. case, I was able to just bypass the whole contest mechanism directly. Cause I, cause I, I guess maybe that's a bit of an advantage I talked about before. I, I know the bit yeah. I'm really good at business. I'm also kind of good at sales because, you know, you and I were talking before we started recording, like I've started a couple of businesses, sold a couple of businesses, right? You can't really mm-hmm. grow a business without being able to do sales. And so I kind of learned how to do sales. I'm like in between this, 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 I have this Venn diagram of like, on this side, I'm a business person. I understand sales. I understand marketing, all this mm-hmm. stuff. On this side, I also know all the technical stuff. I know smart contract auditing really well. And there's not that many people who sit in kind of in the middle here. And yeah. that allowed me to kind of bypass all of this other stuff where it's like a bunch of people are going and doing these contests who are really good yeah. auditors potentially, but they're only making like $100 for, from every contest because they're not finding the critical bug that everybody else yeah, has to yeah. Order, right? Exactly. Yeah, so I guess like a lot of innovation comes from when you're able to access two different fields and like merge them together because usually well something um prominent that i've seen is engineers don't do a lot of research into like let's say papers and you know what's out there and what's missing in the market but a lot of people that do research and do all that stuff don't do engineering as much Mm -hmm. right and so if you can do both you can get a land i guess have the landscape of the market in your mind but you also have the technical expertise to know what's missing and then bring that to life. And that's kind of like bringing innovation to, yeah, to life basically. Sean Sean Bo, I think is his name. He's a good example. He's one of the Zcash engineers. And I was listening to an interview he did on the, I think it's called the zero knowledge podcast. And uh, he was basically saying that he's like, I, I was reading these, all these research papers and, but nobody was into implementing them. And so I was like, I just went, he had went off and implemented one of the research papers and that was how he ended up landing the job at uh, the Zcast foundation was like, they were seeing that he was implementing a lot of the research and he was a really, he's a really highly skilled engineer. And so he's able to make sure that like these, mm-hmm. these implementations of his are production ready. They don't have flaws and unbugs or whatever. Right. Because a lot of the research implementations just need to implement it sufficiently that they can get a research paper out the door and say, not only did we have this research paper, this white paper, but you can go look at the open source code over here or whatever, right? But he was able to translate that into, I think I tweeted after I watched that interview, something like, I want to be Sean when I grow up or something like that. Because that's kind of, a, I think, where I yeah, would yeah. 
I agree with you. I'm sort of in in between those two spaces where I did I did that a lot of Robinhood, a lot yeah. of the cryptography stuff, the protocol that we use under the hood to do a lot of the uh, authentication for the users on the wallet and stuff like that um, was mm-hmm. kind of new ground in terms of how to how to handle this sort of authentication. But I was able to translate that into production code. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And just to like expand on this i guess you as an auditor what do you think is really missing from i guess the tooling space to that's basically made auditors not redundant yet if that kind of makes yeah sense. it's a good question like i <laughs> there's a channel inside of the Robinhood slack that's like mm-hmm. crypto news or something like that and it's got mm-hmm. everybody at the company who's interested in crypto news can join the channel and so it okay. has non-technical people in there as well mm-hmm. And I don't know if you saw, there was a tweet by one of the Coinbase executives where he'd like fed in, he'd fed in a contract with an underflow bug or an overflow bug. I can't remember which one into GPT-4 or something. And it had found the bug. And so everybody was like, oh man, auditors, jobs are done. They're toast, whatever. (laughs) We're over. (laughs) Yeah. And I was like, okay, let me explain some things to these people because they're non-technical. So they were like, wow, this is amazing. The So if you know anything about security, right, you know, like underflow bugs don't exist at the compiler level anymore. So if you're using a modern, he'd fed in like a dot six version of solidity into the contract to find the blood. Oh, okay. So that was one thing. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So you're like, if you're auditing in a, in a real capacity in the, in the market right now, you know, like if somebody slings out some code, that's (laughs) 0.6. First finding is going to be upgrade to, you know, compilers that have this check you know, built right in. Yeah. Latest. But then I was like, even if they didn't back then, even still back then before the compiler versions started catching this, this finding was like trivially easy for a, uh, auditor. Anyone. To find, right. So yeah. it's like, okay, what exactly who care, you know? So I kind of use that as an example of like my, one of the things I'm constantly pounding the table about on my Twitter is that like the most interesting novel, high value bugs are not syntactic or mm-hmm. even really semantic. They're like game theory bugs where it's like, they're yeah. two steps above the code. The biggest problem in the space, not just for tooling, but even just for auditors in general. And I think part of the reason why, like we just talked about a lot of people on C4 are getting hundred dollars per contest or whatever, mm-hmm. is because they're not going up those, uh, those extra levels in thinking at, at the game theory level about if I take my big trade and break it up into a million one way trades, what changes about this protocol or whatever, right? This is mm-hmm. a good example of like thinking above just what does the code say, right? Mm-hmm. And then you can play with those ideas. And that's something I don't think the tooling is ever going to be able to do. And that's part of the reason why you still need top 1% smart contract auditors is because they're able to think above the code. Yeah, exactly. And I think to even build a good tool, you've got to be a good auditor or at least have you know, the, the insight of what, creates a good auditor um objectively so that's like having a a whole overview of the context even if it's it's not just limited to the contract because the whole space interacts with each other and a, a great example that i love to use is okay you have this contract that manages tokens what if you get a flash loan and bring in a million extra tokens that that the developer wasn't like thinking of right see how that messes up the system and what variables change after that. So yeah, you got to think like that. And there's so many external contracts as well. 
that it's very difficult to know what is possible unless you have like symbolic execution or I guess you could go the simple way and just use the most common ones like uh, I guess Compound, Aave, Uniswap, any MasterChef kind of contract. Um, but yeah, it's all like business logic and how it plays with external contracts as well. Yeah, right. Having said that, what kind of uh, critical vulnerabilities have you have you seen becoming the most frequent, I guess? So I, I'm trying to start like a leak code start, sort of website for Web3, where it's okay. all about like interview preparation, stuff like that. And oh, yeah. we're going to launch a contest next week. And I have a bunch of questions lined up for this contest that are all kind of along these lines. Okay, sick. But I'll be honest, I saw, I saw a post, I think it was like, mid last year from trail mm-hmm. of bits where they basically did an analysis of like all the critical bugs that, that had been found. And I, I don't know, I think they would even went beyond their own reports and like looked at the wider ecosystem of reports and you'd oh, okay. be surprised that the, it's yeah, it's simple shit. <laughs> like you yeah, think, man. Oh, what, I read it wow. Well. Like, yeah. It's like access control modifier, like people dropping uh-huh. those or whatever. Right. Like I think I had a tweet, two weeks ago where I was like the number of, I use that meme, that old dude meme where it's like the number of access modifier bugs is too damn high or whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I had found one in the, in the contracts that I was auditing at that time. And mm-hmm. I've probably found three, maybe even four of those in my career as a smart contract auditor. Probably that's the number one, the most frequent bug I found is just people leaving off access modifiers I think yeah. recently there was a there was a pretty big bug recently. I can't remember who it was, but it was like one of their proxies didn't have prop, proper access modifier, and you could have self destructed the the contract, yeah. all the all the Sick. implementation contracts or something like that. Which is, <laughs> I think, at, I don't know if it still is, but it used to be Spear, one of Spearbit's challenges was like basically the this was the the OG for this bug was um, delegate pool. Uh, yeah, it was like it was a um, the multi sig wallet on-chain multi-sig wallet or something like that right where the kid mm. had accidentally self-destructed all all of them and then posted on github <laughs> and said oops i think i broke it or something like that <laughs> right so this is like a pretty well-known exploit right but it just keeps showing up in different contexts where it's like okay yeah. in this case you're right it had some delegate goal or something like that and so you forgot to mm-hmm. access control maybe some aspect i don't know the actual details of it but i do know it was access control yeah, yeah. related which is critical yeah, I, right if you can upgrade the contract to whatever implementation you want <laughs> game over <laughs> yeah i think um like a lot of developers like think too much of the logic that they forget about the simple stuff so they focus on auditors the do it too. I don't think it's just protocols. I think even auditors will miss the most obvious bug that's sitting right in front of their face. Cause they're all, I had another tweet about this. It was something like, I saw somebody tweet this like years ago and I was like, that is brilliant. It was something like the protocol devs check for reentrancy. The auditors check for Oracle manipulation. The attacker calls upgrade two. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's always like the simple things. I I'm, I think I read the same paper where it was like data validation and access control were like two main critical ones that were showing up around, I think it was pretty high, like at least 20%, 25%. Right. Plus. I, I the thing is the they're act- not cool, right? So like the as an auditor, you want to find cool bugs. You want to find yeah, bugs yeah. where everybody's like, oh, damn, or you could go write a blog post about it and get a bunch of new leads exactly. or whatever, right? So we're all looking for those, but the real 
the real truth of the matter is that these are the ones that are most likely to end up wrecking contracts. Exactly. And we're talking about auditing that's pre-deployment. I think auditing post-deployment is a, a whole different ballgame um, because it's usually multiple contracts are involved. You see these highly complex ones that are just, you know, flash learning, going into an Oracle, changing like the liquidity pool and then the original contract. Um, it's like exchange rate is different. And then you use another flash loan to get all that. It's like a whole sequence of transactions, right? Or like calls rather. And it could be over multiple transactions as well. So yeah, right. Like, uh, yeah, it's just, Avi, Avi Eisenberg and the mango hack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it could be it's one of my it's like just so many possibilities, right? And it's super hard to account for all of them, but even like the simple ones are just overlooked as well. Um, so I wonder, do you focus on finding critical bugs or do you kind of like, what, what's your kind of strategy? Yeah, to be honest, I like my first audit, I, I like reported everything. Cause I was, I didn't know, I didn't have a real mm-hmm. good barometer for like what's important and what's not. Okay. And it was a trial <laughs> of uh, audit for Oak. And so I was like, I want to make sure these guys don't think I'm like some sort of an idiot or whatever. Right. So I, I kind of overreported everything. I was I was going to make a joke because I recently started auditing with one of the the guys we we uh, sniped from Y Academy, the last Y Academy block into Y Audit, and I was going to say I feel like as your career gets longer and longer in smart contract auditing, you report <laughs> less and less and less. Yeah, because you're like, okay, this is not important. Like, and a lot of it's opinion related, right? And and then yeah, yeah you've done enough audits where it's like you do the report, they have to do the fix. Then you have to review the fix that you're like, is this even worth going through the machinations of you're going to have to fix this and then submit a PR and then I'm going to have to review it. Is, is it going to re- hmm. result in loss of funds? That's basically what at the end of the day, kind of what, what it boils yeah, down yeah. to for me is like, is this going to be, is someone going to lose money to the protocol or the user? If they're not, then nine times out of 10, I leave it out. I will report some of these other things informational where it's like, if you forget to do this during a deployment, it has catastrophic consequences. I'll put that as an informational, for example, right? Where it's like, make sure they, By the way. everybody's on the same page that you got <laughs> you have to set this variable or whatever, right? Gas too. I'll do gas only if it's like totally egregious where it's like, you're recomputing this variable three times here. Like you should need to just cache this and like use mm. it once or something like that, right? I'll throw those in as well. But in general, I try to keep the report as like as concise as possible. Even my findings, when I write them up, yeah. it's like compared to a, like a noob auditor, they'll write a whole paragraph of like, in the <laughs> beginning, there was reentrancy and <laughs> whatever. Yeah. And like this right here, this variable right here needs to be changed to this variable. Okay, great. You got it? Good. Go fix it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, I guess like if you had a mud, like... It- if you could bring any tool into existence to basically assist you in auditing besides AI, what would you bring slash create? Oh yeah. I was going to bring that up when you, when you were asking about tooling before, I think, I don't think you're going to ever have like a Holy grail, like slither on steroids sort of a thing where it's like run this (laughs) static analysis and it will find you all the bugs or whatever. I don't think that's ever going to happen. I do think what Brock is doing with the parameter, I think is what he's calling the the tool, right? where it shows you like the range of values as you're like kind of like analyzing the the code. Yeah. I think stuff like that, where it's like, uh, they're like guardrails kind of where, where you're like, Oh, Mm -hmm. I think even Slither, like uh, Slither gets a lot of hate, but I think Slither is even pretty good for, for that. Right. 
mm-hmm. people are expecting it to spit out answers, but really what it what it's doing is it's giving you a guardrail. Well, it's like, by the way, this thing has yep. reentrancy in it. I don't know if that so there's never never going to be able to tell you if that reentrancy is exploitable or not, or what the implications mm-hmm. of the reentrancy are. But at least it's able to detect the reentrancy, right? So I think yeah, like stuff your... tooling like that, yeah, that's like guardrails. And I think what Brock's doing is very insightful because he's like going, okay, I'm not going to be able to create this AI tool that can just find bugs, but okay, if I can't do that, then what sort of value can I provide here? And in this case, it's mm-hmm. this, this idea of like bounds checking and guardrails and stuff like that. Yeah, so to like answer your question, it would, it would be that, but better, right? Just more and more of that stuff. Just like a very comprehensive, like reconnaissance kind of tool. Then I'm not wasting my time at the low yeah. level. And I think that's part, maybe that's like maybe the lesson people should take away from this interview is like, if the tooling can do it, you shouldn't be wasting your time as an auditor looking at it. Exactly. It's all about like time efficiency and okay, where, where do you want to spend the most time? And obviously that's for looking for the most critical bugs. Dude, that's one thing I've been complaining about a lot lately is like the symmetry between white hats and black hats mm-hmm. or... I guess pre pre audit and post audit is like totally in favor of the black hat. I (laughs) I have two weeks to look at your code or whatever, however long we've scoped the audit for. And then I've got to move on to another audit. Right. So it's like, I Mm -hmm. can't really spend the proper amount of time. I really should to make sure like this isn't totally bug free. So it's highly likely that I've missed something. And then the black hat has an indefinite amount of time. Once it's on chain, it's on chain. Right. And I can yeah. spend however much time I want perusing your code and figuring out where the edge cases are. Okay. Yeah. yeah. People are like, well, that's why I mean, Immunify should exist or whatever. But it's like, I've heard a lot Sorry. of stories. Yeah. I don't do but Immunify bug bounties, but I've heard a lot of people complaining about how they keep getting stiffed by the protocols or the process is inefficient or whatever. Right. So I, I can't mm-hmm. speak to it personally because I've never used it. I've never done Immunify. But if that's the case, then it's even more reason for people to be like, okay, I'm just going to go black hat or gray hat or whatever, right? I just steal the funds and then give them back later or something like that, right? Like, the, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I think a lot of people are working on that kind of stuff as well. Like if you find a hack or someone's just post a hack on like a transaction, they kind of just front run it and then return it later. Right, right, like right, 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 right. Yeah, something like that. Um, but even if you do like, a, like an on-chain white hat, like try and recover something, you just get attacked, man. Like a like trust. <laughs> trust. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, like from yeah. that sushi one, he just got absolutely annihilated by everyone. It was just kind of like, damn, man. This guy just really tried to like save save this guy's money and then he just got shat on. Like, yeah, how think, dare you it, try and was, save this guy? <laughs> I think if the outcome had been different, which is kind of messed up, right? It shouldn't be about outcomes. It exactly, should be about yeah. intentions or whatever, right? But I think if the outcome mm-hmm. had been different, people would have been like, oh my God, this guy's goat status or whatever. But the fact that it got front run and then everybody sort of piled on top of the exploit that's mm-hmm. what people ended up getting pissed about because they lost money but you're right it's yeah, like trust trust isn't the one who put the bug in the code right like he's the one who found mm-hmm. it and fixed it yeah which i'm I, a little I, bit I, kicking myself about because we found that same bug like a month oh, really? month or two before in a y academy audit yeah and i was like dude why wasn't i looking for this on chain <laughs> i just don't have time oh. right because i'm like i'm always auditing I never actually mm-hmm. go post deployment because I'm always I always have some new thing coming in the door. Mm-hmm. I think um, I think it trust was the one that like implemented a proof of concept for that, and then it was 
Django that, that found it, I believe. I could be wrong. Oh, though, really? But, I see, um, I see. So they he found it and then brought it to Trust, and Trust was the one who was trying to actually... Yeah, because I don't think he didn't have time, because, you know, time is just... just flies. So That's one of my... I think one of the things I'm really, really good at, one of my advantages is I'm very... Because I'm a programmer, right? I'm coding mm-hmm. like 24-7 pretty much, right? Either Robinhood or, or... Is that I can spin up POCs like insanely quickly. Yeah. So it allows think- me to like poke and prod at the code in different ways rather than just... I think a lot of auditors just rely on review or whatever, right? Whereas sometimes... Yeah. But then you got like so much stuff in your mind and you can't really think of every possibility because your mind's just clogged up with like, oh, fuck, what about that last, that last one? Can I change anything there? Or, you know, I think it's really good to have some some kind of like tool to help you with like reconnaissance or find like the workflows or control flows and then go mm-hmm. from there basically and then try and see what contracts could probably interact with this um, and see if there's any kind of interesting interactions or think of outside of the box interactions you know Um, that's what i like about pocs though right is like once i have that unit test i can especially with forge or foundry or whatever oh yeah is you can like start writing invariant tests around that or fuzz tests around that or fork thing right and now i've got uniswap i can take a flash loan against or whatever yeah and one thing I want to point out with back to like the trail of bits reports is that invariant testing finds a lot of bugs, like an insane amount. I think it's like 50%, 60% if you use like invariants um, properly. And I don't think a lot of people take the time to make them, but if you just do normal unit tests for like the simple stuff, like you make sure everything works, then it's you use invariant testing for like, you know, the the hard stuff and make sure shit isn't breaking right um you should I think be that's one of the benefits of being an auditor is like you see so many projects and like the different quality of code that when you go mm-hmm. to launch your own thing you know what's like the best to, like, yeah you're like okay i the people who take security seriously and like have all this stuff they have false tests they have invariant tests right i'm much less likely to find bugs in their code base right oh, because yeah. they've done all this due diligence up front and by the time mm-hmm. it gets to me, the code's like really clean. It's been totally refined. They've thought about a lot of people. Do, I think, in my opinion, the biggest problem right now in the space is people don't architect their smart contracts from a security perspective. I just yeah. barely finished an audit last like, two weeks ago or whatever. And they, you could tell they had spent a lot of time thinking about the security implications of their architecture. And that was ended mm-hmm. up. I mean, we still found stuff. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but. It was maybe less critical when the bug does exist because the urine is a good example of this. I always see auditing urine strategies because they're architected with the understanding of like this. There's if this thing gets wrecked, what's the worst thing that could happen, right? I think yeah. not enough people are thinking about if this gets wrecked, what's the worst thing that could happen? I think the mm-hmm. recent Uniswap thing. I haven't looked into V4 yet, but I've heard a lot of people tweeting about making a bunch of noise about it. Yeah. I think that's probably a step backwards, if I'm being honest, because my understanding is one contract holds all the tokens for all the pools. Yeah, it's more of like an optimization more than anything. I talked about this on the last podcast of Bytes32, but oh, not Bytes32, it was uh, Philogy. And 
basically it's just like instead of routing through multiple contracts, it's just using one contract to do all the routing. So no external calls, et cetera. So kind of like that. Mm. Um, Interesting. Yeah. I, I haven't had time to dig into it. Usually what happens is I get an audit and then I'm forced to dig into the, the new, yeah. cause somebody goes to integrate with V4 or whatever. Right. And it's like, okay, now I need to go learn V4. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. Um, like, Okay, what if someone didn't, if you had no docs whatsoever, um, like they just didn't do any anything to help you. They just wanted you to do everything. Which okay, happens sure, a lot. Right. Yeah. 80% so, of the time I would say is like that. Oh, really? Oh, <laughs> so this is not hypothetical. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Um, yeah, so like what, what do you do, I guess, when there's no docs and you're given like basically nothing? Yeah, good question. Uh, so I've, I got a couple of YouTube videos up where I walk through my smart contract auditing process. Cause I got this question enough times that I was like, I should just record this and kind of like explain how I'm mm-hmm. doing what I'm doing. And I, okay. I will say though, like what's happened over time is as I've gotten more experience, I have been less dogmatic in my approach than I used to be it's sort mm-hmm. of now what I do is I kind of look at the size and the scope of the contract. And also I guess the, context right whether it's a fork or brand new code this sort right, of stuff yeah. right that will sort of dictate what sort of strategy i go about using mm-hmm. so give us an example of like a strategy yeah so just for like standard stuff right if it's a brand new contract comes in doesn't have any docs and it's yeah. like a week to two week audit or whatever right this is sort of my standard approach okay. is what i'll do is i'll start auditing the leaves of the dependency tree Right. So okay. it's like usually somebody's got some inheritance, right? Where it's like a uh, safe transfer or something like that, right? I'll go make sure I understand safe transfer, like really in depth and everything there, right? Gotcha. And this is especially important if they're not they're not importing safe transfer. They're they've like rolled their own or something like that for some oh, reason. Right? Then I'll even yeah, make sure that like okay, I really understand all the implications of whatever they're doing here. Mm-hmm. I might make notes while I'm checking all these library contracts and auxiliary contracts. And then I'll mm-hmm. slowly start working my way into the core where it's like, okay, eventually I'm going to get to the meat of, but I have all this context of everything that they've used up to this point and all these comments. Like one example might be, I'll, I think I even did this in the YouTube video for the safe transfer thing where I'm like, okay, the safe transfer itself looks fine, but I've seen enough people use it where they leave ether in the contract where it's like message.value mm. doesn't equal whatever they're transferring. Right. So mm-hmm. I'll leave the comment there and say, okay, make sure everywhere they're using the safe transfer thing that this invariant holds where there's oh, no ether yeah. left in the contract. So now I have that in the back of my head, that con- comment that I've left whenever, when, once mm-hmm. I get to where they're actually using the library, I have that context of whatever thought I had back then. And I can make sure that that holds. But then I also have, okay, here's all the, here's the universe of things that are being used. When I'm looking at the business logic where the actual funds are held, that's mm-hmm. super useful to be able to have all that context. So then I can sort of rip the thing apart and figure out, okay, the core business logic of like where money's being held, how can I steal the money out of this thing, given all the stuff I know about these auxiliary contracts. Gotcha. Yeah. So you're basically just writing like invariants, but in comments, like above the function. Or something like that. And then if I if it gets to the bot where I get done and I'm like, okay, sometimes I leave a comment and it's obvious. It's like, yes, this is a bug and I don't need to do anything. I don't need to write a POC or okay. whatever. I just need to go write the report up or whatever. But then there are cases where I'm like, 
I'm not sure about this. It smells funny to me. It could be problematic. That's when I'll start mm-hmm. writing a POC and then I can start forking it and I could start to your point, you mentioned like flash loaning, right? I'll pull in a bunch of capital into the yeah. attack or contract or something. I'll try re-insurgency, mm-hmm. whatever it might be. And just either confirm whether this is a bug or not, or disconfirm it where I can go, okay, I tried all this stuff. If I was an attacker, right? Uh, mm-hmm. I would have probably given up by now and been like, okay, there's nothing here. Move on to something else. Then I'm <laughs> okay. okay, this is safe. I'm not going to mess with this anymore. Mm, for sure. I guess like looking back at your auditing career right now, how do you think you could have like accelerated the point to where you're at? I know you've already kind of like done that with the cold emails, but if you want to go even faster, what's what's some advice to your to your yeah 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 that's an excellent question because i i have seen people come after me right like trust kind of came after me pashov came kind of came after me zach i think probably maybe around the time he might have even came after me as well Mm -hmm. and so i watched these guys who i were i continue to work full-time right for Robinhood because i'm really interested in the product we're building at Robinhood, right those guys just dove right in and they've probably their skill level has out outpaced mine probably by two to five X. So I think if I was going to go back, yeah, I would have just been, or like another good one is proof, hundred proof. (laughs) Okay. That guy's a crazy (laughs) story, right? Like I started auditing with him at Oak. Mm -hmm. So he'd found that he'd found a bug for 150 K or something like that. Yeah, Yeah. And then he parlayed that into being able to do audits for Oak. So then he and I worked together on, I think maybe two audits at Oak. And he was like, I don't know about this dude. Like he just got an 150 K payout. And so he was like this, these audit, yeah, sure. It's good money auditing, but it's nothing Mm -hmm. compared to if I just go find the bug in production myself. Why, why am I doing this stupid reporting thing? Right. So he went Uh off and was like, okay, I'm just going to go find bugs. And then, yeah, a couple months later, he comes back. He's got this million-dollar bounty, right? So he's yeah. a good, good example of, like, if I had just been, like, why am I juggling all these things at the same time if I just stayed hyper-focused on one thing? Right. And, and I still think about that to this day, to be honest. Like, there are days where I wake up and I'm like, should I just put in my two weeks at Robin Hood and just be like, okay, I'm done with this? Yo, like, man, there's way that's... more gold over here. What am I doing mining for yeah, gold yeah exactly here, basically, right? i mean like auditing is something you want to do full-time as well isn't it yeah I, I, so it's it's weird right it, it's like some days yes then there was like a day there was a couple days dude i was auditing an ave fork like last month or the month before last i don't I, the days all drag together like you'll notice my timelines i'm like i don't know it was like a month ago a week ago yeah, i don't yeah. remember and then i look up it was like actually a year ago um <laughs> But yeah, I was auditing this 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 Ave fork, and I just was yeah. like, "What? I hate this. What am I doing? This is stupid. I don't want to be looking at this code. I have no interest in in auditing another mm-hmm. fork or whatever, right?" Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. Sometimes I do think I don't want to do this anymore. Sometimes I think, "Well, I'm at Robinhood. I don't want to do this." It sort of depends on like, is the work that I'm doing in these different areas exciting and like intellectually stimulating to me or not, right? And if yeah. at any particular moment, if it's not, then I'm I'm immediately like which is a bad, it's something I know about myself that I'm very, mm. I'm a nerd, right? I'm very easily nerd sniped. And okay. it's, that's kind of what happened with Robinhood. I was like, I had no interest in working for them. They were originally hiring me for like a traditional backend engineering role yeah. on their like actual crypto product inside the main app. And while I was doing the interview, 
my current manager was in one of the interview loops and she mentioned the product she was working on. And I was like, shit, I want to work on that thing. So I told the recruiter, I'm not joining unless you can get me on that team. (laughs) And so that's kind of what drives me is like, I keep going from like super interesting intellectual thing to super interesting intellectual thing. Right. Which it's fine. It's almost like playing video games. It's something I really enjoy, but Mm -hmm. over the, like a long time horizon, you're probably going to have more success in your career or whatever, if you just hunker down and focus on one thing and become like yeah, the yeah, top for 1% sure. in that one thing or whatever. Yeah, definitely. Like you were splitting your time up with full-time job and working at Oak basically. And then when I, un- yeah. And then 1-800, wait, what? 1-800, what am I saying? 100. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, 100, he just went like full-time, you know what, I'm going to make my success from the, from the dirt basically. And I guess that's what happened. Like if you want it that bad enough and you have no other kind of like backup, you're kind of forced to do it, right? Like no, no matter what. And I'm kind of- I think I'm also like there's, a, there's, a huge, there's a huge difference between like, I was talking to Eastwood, Eastwood yeah, yeah. about this like a couple of months Eastwood. ago. Yeah, about, uh, there's a huge difference between like the top, let's call it 25% or 10% of smart contract authors and the top 1%, right? And mm-hmm. if you want to get in the top 1%, you basically have to say, okay, I'm only doing this and nothing else. Yeah, I think that's with anything really. Like, unless you're just, even if you're gifted and just like naturally skilled, the, the person that's just spending all the time every day, every week is going to catch up and just like blow past you if yep. you're not putting the same amount of effort, right? I think totally. yep. I'm the exact same like, like as you that I just get attracted to the shiny thing and then I move on to something else. But I do stay on the shiny thing for quite some time. And then somehow I find or like discover like a new niche within like the journey of that initial thing. And then I kind of switch. So like right now I'm doing binary analysis and that's come from like writing Huff. And then rough Huff came from just doing MEV that MEV came from Solidity, you know? So it's right. just like a yes. rabbit hole. That's what I was going to say. I don't think I ever would have become a smart contract auditor if I hadn't. There's an explore exploit thing, right? Mm-hmm. And I think you and I are, we like to stay in the explore phase. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, never, we don't switch quickly enough to the exploit phase. Or maybe mm-hmm. we do, I don't know. We're both relatively successful in what we're doing. So it's not like we're total scrubs, right? Or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I'm, I don't think I ever would have become a smart contract auditor if I wasn't just willing to be like kind of dabbling around, messing around with stuff. And one thing, like the story I told you, it's not like I set out from the beginning to be like, I'm going to become the best smart contract owner on the planet. Yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> so it's like, I'm going to fork Uniswap. And then eventually <laughs> I went to security. And then eventually I ping somebody on Twitter. And then eventually I ping a new auditing firm. And then eventually I end up being a smart contract auditor. It wasn't like I... That was my goal at the end was to make a bunch of money as a smart contract. And even still, I don't really do it for the money. It's mostly because I like hanging out with other smart contract auditors. I like doing stuff like yeah. what we're doing right now, right? And I don't yeah. think I would be able to do that if I if I wasn't out looking at contracts and like learning all this technical stuff. Yeah, I think like the more work you put in, the more opportunities come out and the more people you meet. Um, and that just opens up a whole lot of pathways and it just becomes... Follow your passion, basically. And if you're interested in something, go for it, you know. Just, like, laser focus and try and 
get that going. But if you also have something good going for you, just spend like some time doing the other thing on the side. And then if you really enjoy it, maybe just go all in. It may not be as much money, um, but if it's more satisfaction, I think that's way worth like the money because money can comes and goes like it's it's there our whole lives. But if you're not happy doing something, then it's not really worth doing, I think. I will say that like having kids to change my mental framework around like I was like hyper focused on money earlier in my career because I and mm-hmm. I, another thing I learned like leaving Amazon and going to Robinhood where I like really enjoy what I'm working on at Robinhood. Yeah. Was, I think part of the reason I was like so obsessed with financial independence is because I hated my job. I just didn't want to admit like you hate your job. Go find another job. Because <laughs> I just yeah. kept thinking, okay, I'll just slog through this, get the RSUs, and then I won't have to worry about money anymore. I can do what I really enjoy or whatever, right? Yeah, yeah. But after I had thing, kids, you know? I was like, I was like, I'm gonna be taking care of these kids basically until they move out right and mm-hmm. so then your compounding time horizon in terms of finance goes from i was like trying to retire in five years or whatever which i end up achieving but then i had a kid yeah <laughs> so it's like, like okay what well, i'd say a lot to like some of my coworkers. i'm like i i mean i'd be sitting at home taking care of my kid anyway i might as well log in and write some code like <laughs> you know there's a real reason i'm working at this point right but I was yeah. talking to my manager, it was like a week ago or whatever. And I was like, if you compound over 20 years or whatever about, and especially with the current base of capital I have now, I could work at McDonald's for the next 20 years and still be like totally rich. Right. So it's like, okay, what, what to, to your point, right. It's not always about the money. It's all often more about like, what are you excited by? Or you're going to get to a point in your life where you have enough money to like do whatever you want to do, whether it's eat out mm-hmm. or go on vacations or whatever right yeah yeah so then you're still stuck it's like great i have all this money now what you still need to find a purpose and like a why you're on the planet or whatever right you're not going to find that if you're constantly just chasing money unless that's your purpose i don't know that is some people's purpose like warren buffett is yeah you need like a goal money like without a goal yeah you're just not gonna satisfy yourself for your while you're like awake basically and i think when you have a goal and you really hone in and you're really passionate about it then money just comes, right? Like it's, you're just... Sometimes. I think some people are not very business savvy. And so like we were talking about before, right? You could have yeah. a super highly technical person who doesn't understand sales or marketing. Or For anything sure, like yeah, that. yeah. But They're if you're going to be really totally in their basement. You're really going to spend that much time. There's, there's got to be a point in time where you're like sharing information or you release something. Maybe. But some people don't, don't even do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're screwed. Yeah, but I think that might be the end of this it's getting close to an hour so hmm. i just want to wrap this up it's been a pleasure talking to you and finally great to finally you know talk we haven't spoken actually before so yeah it was nice to meet you man yeah nice to meet you too <laughs> how good's that now it's in the books <laughs> it's official <laughs> it's official um but yeah lovely having you on it's been great and there we go 